Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 176, episode two of Dear Daily Zeitgeist, a oh, production man. of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It's Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Trip me once, shame on you. Trip, trip me twice, can't get tripped again. Uh, that is courtesy Ooh. of Red George's a reference to uh, me claiming that I was untrippable, I believe, last week. And I'll, I'll introduce my co-host, and then I have a story that that happened to me that very night. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. It's Miles Gray, a.k.a. Horonymous Washed, a.k.a. NBA All-Star Chris Washed, a.k.a. Daniel <laughs> Wash of Washed 2.0 or Washed.0, Borat star, Washta Baron Cohen, a.k.a. Uh, from the visionary director J.J. Abrams, the hit TV show Washed. <laughs> Uh, wow. Shout out to Christy Yamaguchi, man, for, you know, I guess he, he clued in. He got he clued into the fact that we were dealing with our, uh, our where, we, where we stood on the time space-time continuum yeah. and taste it. I love when we give them just a little inch, a little like we're like, ah, we're washed. And then there's like 20 AKs that are washed like, you guys machine. are washed. You're so fucking washed. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, we are old as fuck. Uh, we are also thrilled to be joined in our third seat by the brilliant, the talented Cerise Castle. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Hello, Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, hey, thank thanks for, for having me us. on. What uh, what's uh, what's what's good in your part of town? You're in LA, right? I am in LA. Yes. Yeah. Weather's okay. Weather's okay. <laughs> I How's mean, the weather over there? It's a little cold. Could, mm. could always be warmer, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Jack has a theory that it's the houses are just not insulated properly. That's why when it's cold, all the houses stay cold here. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just seems like it gets colder at higher temperatures here inside houses. Uh, or are we just so, you know, sensitive to things right. not being around 70 degrees that it's like, oh, my God, I think yeah. something's wrong with this house. We're a population of people who moved, uh, for the most part, Miles. I don't, I don't want to. Well, that would be a, an annoying local. No erasure uh, of locals. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people here who uh, who moved here to pursue a world that is always 72 degrees. Uh, so maybe that's mm. maybe there's some sampling error there. But uh, real quick, I did want to mention that I think the very day that we recorded the episode about how I am uh, impossible to trip, uh, that wasn't what the whole episode was about, Therese, <laughs> but it was something that I absently bragged about uh, for some reason. That night, I was walking downstairs, grab uh, my wife a snack that she could consume in our bed uh, and get crumbs everywhere. And I <laughs> slipped on the top step and... <laughs> Uh, in such a cartoonish fashion that I threw my phone up in the air and it fell all the way down uh, over the banister and shattered. Uh, so I was wow. without a phone all weekend. Uh, and Wait, so it's like a pratfall? Like yeah, it was a, like whoop, a literal like Mr. Bean like, combined wow. with the woman from that commercial about how uh, iPhones, new iPhones are unbreakable or whatever. Right, right, right. But she only dropped it from like shoulder height down. I dropped it, uh, you know, a whole story down. And yeah. and you gave it some added hype by throwing it up first. It wasn't. Just yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> the woo. Yeah. I did make that sound. And uh, my wife said, "You're so old." Uh, as uh, when I yeah. recounted that to her, so it combines both AKAs. Uh, I'm washed as fuck and incredibly trippable and easy to trip, easy to trip. I'm, mm -hmm. I might be one of the more easy to trip people in the world. Uh, anyway, Cerise, we're <laughs> going to, uh, get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. We're going to talk about that, uh, cloak and dagger club that was, uh, open in LA that was like basically, you know, used goth trappings and uh, eyes wide shut vibes to cloak uh, what was essentially a old fashioned toxic rape culture. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the police in Atlanta, how they treated one of the uh, murder victims' husbands uh, compared to how they treated the murderer. 
and we're going to talk about Cerise's piece, uh, A Tradition of Violence, the History of Deputy Gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, uh, which is the, the first three parts of a 13-part series. Came out Monday morning uh, and mind-blowing shit, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Spring Break in Miami. We're going to talk about that college scandal, uh, getting the obligatory streaming documentary uh kind of a dramatic film like woven in there uh also oh, right starring Matthew i heard Modine. it goes real easy on the parents oh yeah uh and on the institutions it's just like this guy pff, what a what a huckster huh but you kind of gotta kind of gotta appreciate his hustle uh anyways we'll talk what? about all of that plenty more but first cerise we like to ask our guests what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are, what you're up to, uh, that sort of thing? Oh, God. I mean, my search history is all just like deputy gang shit. <laughs> right. How do you, for a Google search, because I saw you like on your Twitter, too, you have like all of, as of now, known affiliates uh, of uh, within the LASD that are gang affiliated. And it, how, what does a Google search look like if you were trying to begin to do that? You just be like, share, uh, deputy, blah, 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 gang? Or what's sort of the methodology <laughs> yeah. in like sort of doing that kind of research using Google and stuff? Yeah. Um, so generally when I use Google, um, for that sort of thing, I, I've already identified a deputy and I'm trying to find out, um, what they're up to in their current life. Um, probably mm -hmm. the best one that I found is a man named Cliff Yates, who was responsible for at least one death that we know of, a man who was beaten to death inside of Men's Central Jail. This guy is now trying to be an actor. So when you pull him up on Google, you get his website, you get his headshots, you get his motivational YouTube channel, um, you get books that he's written about becoming a vegan, and you also get the book that he's written about um, being a law enforcement officer for 35 years called Deputy. And that's where a book in which he describes police work as, quote, hunting for humans. I am on uh, cliffyates.com right now. Uh, and uh, wow. Huh. I mean, I think that also speaks to just the idea, even like in the first part of this series of protected class, uh, what that even means to be a law enforcement. And clearly like the after when you're out even the way you look back and describe your work with such arrogance or like the idea that there's no accountability like yeah that was my job um to hunt humans is oof, eerie do we know does he is he actually working as an actor um he's put on a few comedy shows uh, oh he's a regular oh at the comedy God. store of course it's some comedy <laughs> fuck wow oh. that's fucked up he's a regular at the comedy store he was yes holy Yikes. shit Man, if anyone, if any Zeitgang has witnessed the comedic stylings of Cliff Yates, uh, hit us up on social. I'm, I'm curious what his routine is. What I was feeling it's very disconnected like. from yeah. any kind of reality most humans are living. Wow. Um, what is something you think is overrated, Cerise? Hmm, something I think is overrated. I would say tooth gems. Tooth gems. Oh, like having okay. the putting the little jewel like on the on front the of your tooth. tooth. Yeah. Are you, <laughs> <laughs> are you? Do you know a lot of tooth gemmers? When I was um, investigating um, illegal COVID parties a few months ago, I was coming across a lot of tooth gemmers. Wow. Um, and I've seen it blow up a lot. Um, on social media, like in quarantine, people wearing tooth gems. I just think they're like ugly. Personally, I'm big on wearing grills. I yeah. love grills, um, yeah. but like gluing it to the tooth. I don't know. Something about that. It's just like I don't know. Too far, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't. And like I had them. messed I up ugly. teeth as a kid, so I had old school metal braces. I do not want to revisit fixing things to my teeth anymore like i i want i want grills on my canines on my incisor teeth it's been yeah. a thing i've always wanted since i think method man method wore it man, in the, yeah method man had it in the source i think source magazine cover and he was like this and i was like yes i'm in la and i want to look <laughs> like i'm from new york 
from Staten Island. But I knew that he had those before I even saw a picture of him because because he was like on Takala. Yeah. <laughs> you could like, hear him hear the sucking grills. the spit off, off his grills. Uh, but yeah, that shit looked dope. I, I, I just, would definitely picture, especially because there's so many different types of braces and like a lot of them are like the glued on like little dots on the teeth that's exactly yeah. that's what i would think tooth gems were that's pretty much what they are um right. sometimes they're like you can get like little logos i've seen people with like the nike check i don't know oh, that's weird i don't i get let's see again this is where i'm washed i'm like i remember what it used to be gold in your mouth <laughs> right. not fucking logos and shit like on your fucking teeth like the fuck I also love the overlap of COVID party throwers and tooth right. gemmers, and it's just a circle. It's just like, you know, I have a feeling it's if you got tooth gems, chances are you're throwing or have been too many illegal COVID parties. Probably. Was this like sort of in that era when you were investigating it, like when the city was having to like shut power off to like certain homes and things? Yeah, um, but... From what I uncovered in my reporting, that was really only done at like um, probably like less than 10 houses that right. came to my knowledge. Um, and the city, the last I checked, they hadn't prosecuted anyone for violating any of those rules. So, you know. So just a lot of hot air, huh? Pretty much. What yeah. did you uh, like? What what was the scene like? Was there anything that surprised you about the scene? Was was it all no. like? I think my my <laughs> understanding <laughs> no. was that it was all like TikTok houses and shit. Is it um, was it just that? Those were the people that were getting the shutdowns. Yeah, the parties. Um, it was a lot of the same people that you see at the underground parties outside of COVID. Um. Unfortunately, um, there were a lot of people that I spoke to in the scene that like, you know, had make it had taken a public stance to to not party um, while we were shut down. But, you know, a lot of the same people that you hear mutterings about for, you know, bad behavior on other things are the same people throwing these events. So, you know, it, it it's the same people that you would expect. Right. Jesus. Is there like sort of the same mechanisms within that scene, like protecting these people or it's accepted or, you know, like what is it that allows someone like that to sort of continually operate? Yeah, I think the same things that allow people like that to operate in any other space, any other, right. right? Influence and whatever and proximity to that is enough for people to just sort of not rock the boat. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And how widespread was it? Like you, I we heard about the ones that were shut down. Was it pretty... All, was it kind of all over the place? Um, most of the ones that I know about were never shut down. Um, yeah. And they still continue to operate to this day. And celebrities like go to them. Like the game hosted an event at one of these clubs last night. You know, so they operate pretty openly and no one really seems to care or do anything about it. Right. L.A. was uh, I was listening to the radio this weekend uh, for the first time in years because my phone was broken uh and the radio like had all these contests that were about like winning money because la was opening back up and like this is like the opening back up weekend so like win your money so you can get back out there like it was just openly assumed that like all right guys pandemic over let's uh starter gun let's uh, let's right. all get back out there it was pretty wild yeah not helpful, uh, given <laughs> given the situation that we're in in the world. Uh, but I now know all the words to driver's license, so that is good because that song <laughs> is played every. I, I I think that song is one fourth of all songs that are played on uh ninety seven one the amp. Yeah, I was gonna guess uh, what are you listening to like Kiss <laughs> FM, <laughs> right? Well, because uh, yeah, my kids like the the pop music, so you. Know. Children. Is that a tale of a? Isn't I was uh my partner, Her Majesty, was explaining the lyrics of that song. She's like, it's the biggest song right now. I'm like, I don't know what this is about. They're like, it's about real drama. Like, I think this guy yeah. was with someone. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Is this like Crimea River? It. Yeah, it's a little like Crimea River, but she like references a song he wrote about her. So I think that's like uh. more. There's like a little bit more uh explicitness about like who she's talking about. Uh, and then it's just catchy. Um, huh, and I, I will uh, sing for you guys during the commercial break. Uh, Thank just God. To... 
<laughs> what is uh, something you think is underrated? Deputy gangs. Mm-hmm. Mm. Say more. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just pretty much it's been an open secret in Los Angeles County for the past 50 years. Um, people in government from the local level all the way up into the federal level have known about it, um, dating back to at least the 90s. And, you know, there haven't been any significant internal investigations or policy changes, um, you know, if anything, Police officers and law enforcement officials have seen their rights continually protected and beefed up. And, you know, it's something that we really don't talk about as much as we should, I think. I think a lot of people um, are sort of aware it functions like an open secret, right? We know about it, but it's not really something we like talk about or engage with. Um, And I'm hoping that, you know, by writing this series and talking more to people about it, um, it's something that we think about more. And hopefully do some things to change because a lot of people have died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's wild too, because I remember my first thing growing up in LA was hearing about like the banditos gang and being like, what Oh my cops are in gang? Like, you know, as like a younger kid that like, and it was like a story for a second. And then I'm sure whatever screws they turn up from the sheriff's department, like on the news channels are just like, okay. And then we, we talked about it once. Um, but then to actually like, as, time goes on and my awareness increases about this sort of trend and you actually see how organized it is. It really is sort of shocking to think, how do we let this exist at all? But I mean, there are so many things that should, <laughs> that should not be uh, existing or systems of oppression that exist, but they continue to, but yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to talking more about that uh, later on. Yeah. there, There's a person at one point in one of your first three articles that, calls to report a i think they say like a gang beating and then like halfway through the call like realize that it's the police i'm like i i just think that people when they picture this sort of thing they're like well it's like like we've talked recently on the show about den of thieves that gerard butler yes movie and even though the movie is like these guys are real bad dudes. Uh, they're like doing it with some like code uh, attached to it, and it's like a means to an end. And I, I just think like people, unless you've experienced it or read reporting like uh, you're doing here, it's hard for people to fully conceive that no, this is just this is just straight up like criminality and and murder that is happening right. that people are getting away with like because uh of institutional corruption like that's right. all it is or like the times you see it in media it's like well they the gangs have gangs so yeah maybe the police are kind of doing their thing to like yeah. also be a gang and like that's such a fucked up presentation of it but most of the most of the presentation of any kind of law enforcement is straight up propaganda anyway but yeah this that movie especially was one where it's like, I mean, like, at least there's like camaraderie in this like cop gang that they're, they're just violating the law. Like they're also criminals. Huh? But, yeah. Yeah. It's Gerard Butler. So it's an action movie. Yeah. Fire with fire. That seems to be like the right. the motto in that. Have you you've seen that movie, Cerise? Oh, yeah, I have. Yes. And, you know, in that movie, they talk about actually one of the gangs that we write about or that I wrote about in this series, um, the regulators. Mm. Right. So even then, like they're they're aware enough to know about it, but still just be like, eh, and then we'll call out a real gang, but not have any sort of real commentary on it. And they have tattoos in the in the movie. Like, I, I think yes. they just like borrowed. They like fictionalized a gang, but it was like pulled from details of actual actual gangs and decided to make them the protagonists yeah all right let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and we're back and there is a la times report about cloak and dagger um, which was a sort of like gothy uh, private club um, that was in the back of a the pig uh, and whistle. Yeah, po- a popular bar in Hollywood called Pig and Whistle. It was like intentionally 
cloaked in this uh, this mystery and this like you know the people got tattoos of a cloak and like there were initiation rituals and it was very uh like if you hear somebody talking about it then then you have to tell us so we can kick them out because nobody like air of secrecy and then it just sounds like behind the scenes it was these two like 50 something uh white dudes who were using it as an opportunity to like hit on the women who worked for them uh and just enabling sexually abusive behavior by celebrities and just like by people who they wanted to be friends with it seems like uh thomas middleditch from silicon valley is implicated in this report for what sounds like by all accounts sexual assault he's groping women uh without their consent but yeah it's it just seems like all of the kind of shit you would ex- expect from a frat house but because it was with an air of goth like they got away with it for years was it also just like i mean the, it, it sounds like just another place where wealthy people or moneyed people could just go to do whatever they wanted to uh without you know uh, any interruption from people or control who's coming in and out to sort of perpetuate whatever was going on. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I think that's. That club always had weird vibes. Just. Yeah. <laughs> it really? always did. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I never went, but I have friends that went um, and I have friends that um, knew people that work there back before COVID. I mean, like it's, it's sort of like perpendicular to the scene that, I would go out and participate in, but you know, there were always whispers like that's a weird place. Don't go there. Rapey vibes. Um, right. So I, I wasn't surprised by that reporting. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, just seeing like the like list of the people that go there, like it truly was like a lot like Diplo would DJ there. You have Thomas middle just going there and it just, again, all people we know that have right. weird vibes. Yeah. stories circling around them which is weird how like it goes from people being like that you know the evolution of being able to call something for what it is because at first you hear things like oh that i hear he's creepy middle ditch is weird or an right. asshole or things like that and then over time then you have the reporting where we have this way of not knowing how to describe something for what it is sometimes and or rapey vibes and things like that. And then you come to it and you're like, no, this place was enabling. Right. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. There yeah. was actual sexual assault going. Right. There, like, right. Yeah. And I think when people say like weird vibes, like it's easy to be like, yeah, well, it's like people in cloaks and, you know, there's like all these rituals of, co- you know, like mistake what the. Right you know assume assume that okay so that's the weird part and the weird part is or the you know problematic part is incredibly common and it's the it's the thing you see in institutions all over the place that especially ones that are able to like you know cultivate an air of exclusivity and secrecy like anytime that's happening you've got to be extra extra worried you know from the catholic right. church to college fraternities to whatever it is like uh corporations like mm-hmm. on on corporate retreats fucking panda express corporate retreat right uh, we just heard that somebody was abused during a corporate retreat during like a team building exercise so yeah and that like the la times story like ties it to the reckoning for L.A. Goth um, and Marilyn Manson. They're like, well, the figurehead of Los Angeles Goth, Marilyn Manson, is finally facing some consequences. Right. But that that seems like it's given him a lot of credit. But and I think that this has been a long time coming, thanks to the brave people who have decided to speak up. This is something that's been going on, like. There have been shitty people in the L.A. goth scene for a long time. It's another one of those open secrets. And I'm happy that um, the women and the other people that have been abused by these people are, you know, feeling safe enough to talk about it. And I, you know, I always think that sunshine is the best medicine. So I'm hoping that this can fix fix that scene. Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about uh, just another detail that's emerging from 
the mass murder in Atlanta last week. Um, the so we we've already discussed that um, the police were willing to you know extend the empathy to the shooter to talk about how he was having a bad day. Just a a detail that came out over the weekend is that is the account of Mario Gonzalez who was with his wife Delena Ashley Yuan at a massage parlor. Uh, they got a babysitter for their infant daughter to, you know, go do something together as a couple. They were getting massages in separate rooms. He heard the shooting, but was, you know, too afraid to leave his room. Uh, the police showed up and basically arrested him, kept him in cuffs in a patrol car for four hours. Uh, he's Mexican, thinks that that might have had something to do with it. And they wouldn't tell him... Uh, what had happened to his wife until they got confirmation that he was her husband, at which point they told her that she'd been killed. So, you know, not quite as concerned about him having a bad day or what what he was going through uh, dur- during that process. Uh, just, I mean, ugh. just uh, just all the energy even to coming from conservative media to obscure like what this was yeah, um, and what the, you know, what ills of our country this is actually exposing to just kind of pivot to, well, it's not this, it's this other thing. And if it is that, who knows in any way, what, why don't we talk about sex addiction, but maybe not in a way that actually is going to address any kind of issue we have with maybe our, this like puritanical culture that the United States has as well, where people are looking at their own sexuality as like this deviant thing or, and acting it out in pop in problematic ways. Or if we're not going to call it a hate crime against Asian people, then what about is it against women? Is it sex workers? Are we then going to have a conversation about how we create a, a new way of communicating, of looking at people with more empathy um, in that sense? But no, it's just sort of let's just argue about the labels first to not do anything substantive. And it's just it's just yeah, it's it happens every time, it happens every single time. Mm. Um, and it's it's starting to feel, you know, I don't know. It's already just it's just compounding a a nonstop year of uh, shitty events. Yep. All right. Let's talk, uh, Cerise, about about the piece you are reporting for Knock LA. Is that, uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit, first of all, about that publication and like how, how the piece came, came about? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Knock LA is the um, journalism arm of a a nonprofit here in LA called Ground Game. Um, and they do organizing around, um, you know, like voter registration. Um, they help people get the vaccine. Um, they did some mutual aid at the beginning of the pandemic, and I believe that's still ongoing. So they're great. And they have this journalism outfit that is doing some really great work as far as independent media in the Los Angeles um, landscape. There isn't too much of that. So mm-hmm. they're a great addition. I reached out to them with a list that I had got my hands on through some Public Records Act requests, Um, and it's a list that the County of Los Angeles keeps of litigation that they've been involved in where deputy gangs have been involved. And I went to knock and I said, hey, like this is, um, I think this list could turn into you know, a pretty big project. Um, and I'd love to work with you to use this to sort of create a history of what we know about deputy gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And they said, yes, of course, let's get started. And they were really great um, with helping me, first of all, pay for everything. Um, although all of this stuff is public record, you do have to pay for it. And that adds up very quickly. It, this series cost over $3,000 um, to just research. They were really great with providing me with some research assistance to get through quite literally tens of thousands of pages of yeah. documents um, in the past six months. And they gave me a great home for the website and they are helping me build a database of all of the law enforcement officials that we have identified that have an affiliate with a deputy gang, which will be available for the public to use. And it will be a living document that we will be updating for years to come. That's awesome. So, uh, so I mean, 
for I think a lot of people, they've heard us talk about deputy gangs before on this show. We've referenced it. We've talked about like anytime maybe it becomes a slight news story and then vanishes pretty quickly. We like to touch on it. But uh, can you kind of just walk us through the the evolution of the like the gangs within the sheriff's department in L.A. County? Yeah, definitely. So the gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department have existed at least since the 1970s, starting with a gang called the Little Devils that was based out of the East Los Angeles station. There was a huge event in the 70s called the Chicano Moratorium, which I'm sure you've talked about on this show as well, um, which was a demonstration of about 25,000 people in East Los Angeles, a heavily Latinx area, demonstrating against the Vietnam War. And this event, it's alleged that Little Devils were a part of a group of deputies that brutalized people at this demonstration. Um, you know, the photos from what happened that day are atrocious. A journalist was even killed by a deputy who shot a can of tear gas at him. His name was Ruben Salazar. So after that happened, a investigation was done, or, well, I'll say investigation investigations. Right. We're, we're doing quotes on that. Yeah, so a chief was asked to identify members of the Little Devils, and a list was made, but that's that's all that really happened with that. As far as we know, they were put on a list. And from that point, I mean, deputy gangs were pretty much allowed to flourish. Um, The sheriff at that time, Sherman Block, he said um, that he thought gang members probably got a kick out of deputies being in a gang and flashing gang signs at them. At that time, we know of at least, um, let's see, following the 1970s, we know of probably four gangs that were functioning between the 80s and the 90s. Those are the Wayside Whiteys in the Wayside Honor Rancho Jail, the Cavemen, which was sort of like a second generation of the Little Devils at the East Los Angeles station. And there were the Linwood Vikings, which is probably the one um, we know the most about. They were based in the Linwood Station, and they were identified as a white supremacist gang by a U.S. federal judge. Um, you know, that didn't mean they were exclusively white. They had several um, Latino and Black members. Um, their Viking tattoos, they would change the horns to signify their ethnic identity. And, you know, they would just essentially go out and terrorize people. They would you know, hold families at gunpoint um, and execute unauthorized searches. They ch- chased people and shot them. They they murdered people. One investigator that I spoke to, he believes that a deputy is responsible for the murder of a client of his that he represented in a class action suit against the sheriff's department in the Linwood station. That was called Darren Thomas versus Los Angeles. That case was settled in the 90s, but that's how we got a lot of information about the Vikings was as a result of that case. And in terms of like gangs, right, we use the term gang and a lot of people, if you're thinking of a street gang, like they're involved in, you know, drugs or whatever other kind of racket, racketeering, whatever kind of uh, activities for a sh- what it, what are the activities of like a sheriff's deputy gang? Like what what are the act- like what do we see them engage in that is sort of specific to these organized groups within the department? Yeah, I would say they function pretty much like a typical criminal street gang. The California Penal Code, um, there are a couple of signifiers that they look for to categorize something as a street gang, one of which is a common hand sign, common tattoo. We've got that engaged in, you know, crimes. We've seen deputy gangs engage in, you know, drugs. We've seen them engage in robberies. We've seen them engage in you know, drive by shooting, right? In yes, of, drive by shootings, yeah. assaults, murders. So, you know, pr- rape, pretty much anything that a criminal street gang does, the deputy gang does. They're just doing it in uniform. Right. And using the authority of this state to justify the violence. And, right. Yeah. And then it seems like every time that they are, uh, somebody attempts to bring them to justice and the police force of the city tries to like deal with the gangs there's a pattern of it being so weak or so ineffectual the the penalties that the gangs almost seem entitled to do more and do worse like 
at least so far in your reporting, uh, the part that I'm up to. It just seems like it's a pattern of them doing something unbelievably, you know, out in the open, brutal, uh, racist. They get brought up on that and there's either a settlement, uh, but there's never any criminal uh, repercussions. And then that seems to make the gangs feel like, oh, shit, we can we can do this and more. Right. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. In terms of like saying, right, we have to bring things into the light of day, right, to try and uh, sanitize the situation. What are the current obstacles? I mean, aside from, you know, systemic white supremacy that allows these sort of structures to remain in place, are what are the kinds of awareness that we can bring to the public to obviously create more public pressure or how do we how what is what is the way to remedy this um, based on what you've investigated? Yeah, um, well, there are a lot of groups that have been involved in this work for a long time, much longer than I've been investigating it. One in particular that um, I would like to point people to is the Check the Sheriff Coalition. They work with um, the ACLU that has been monitoring deputy gangs for years. Um, and they're organizing around a lot of things that could change these policies. Like one thing that I learned about that I didn't know about was the Peace Officers Bill of Rights, which is a law that exists in most states that gives um, law enforcement officers the right to know everything about an investi- a criminal investigation that they are the subject of. They get to meet with a union representative and a lawyer and review all that um, before they talk to any investigators. The investigation has to be completed within a year or they cannot be charged. Um, and that's that's the case in most states. Right. Um, so this isn't this is that's not specifically just a Los Angeles problem. That's that's something that's happening all over the country. But yeah, it's, it seems like this this is a problem. Like when you read about reporting of corruption in the NYPD, like there's all all sorts of it. Well, it might not be like organized gangs with hand signals like that. It seems like there's a very common problem there. Yeah, I mean, it's just that it's impossible to bring them to criminal justice under the current system. And that, of course, they're going to feel entitled to continue to. I I think the the first your first report is called the protected class, um, which I think is fitting. Right. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. One, one other thing I'd, I'd want to mention is um, when we're looking at LA specifically um, about this, um, another reason why you won't see a lot of these deputies charged in these shootings, um, it goes back to the district attorney, right? The district attorney is the one who decides whether or not they'll be cr- prosecuted. The district attorney and the sheriffs are now in the same union, I believe. So, Jesus. you know, there's a really symbiotic relationship there. Um, oftentimes the police union, you know, They'll just straight up threaten the district attorneys um, and they'll say, you know, like, if you're going to prosecute our guys, like, don't count on us to show up and testify when you have, you know, a high profile case, that type right. of thing. The union will really hold people hostage. So it, there are a lot of people involved in this. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, even over the summer, like when even the city council here was even mulling over defunding the police department or law enforcement, like the show of force to be like, hey, we... You know, a very like very seemingly uh, innocent being like, hey, we're all here together. But when you see a group of people telling you, oh, man, like who's going to protect you? Who's going to protect you? And saying things like that to somebody who's possibly in a position to bring accountability. Like, yeah, you see that there's many things uh, at work that's, uh, you know, uh, propping them up. Who's going to protect you from us? Uh, right. Essentially. For, for instance. Yeah. The, the Salazar story was wild. Like uh, that's kind of where your reporting starts. And so he was a journalist who had been critical of law enforcement, right? And then yes. he gets, you know, shot and killed by a crowd control device, which is something we're still seeing to this day, like uh, maiming people. Yeah. Yeah, that story was really hard for me. Um to read because it's it's like kind of like looking in a mirror right like yeah doing the same stuff now i've been shot um with less than lethal munitions by police um yeah it's the same things are happening today 
Right. It Like the work that you're doing is so important and something that to me, I would immediately begin to shy away from. Like, you know, just to be like the fear that I already have in innately of police, but then for you to like, and the work that all people do activists around this, I think is really impressive because yeah, like there are examples of retaliation for those trying to bring them to account and like reading that on top of the history of how these gangs operate. It's really just seems like a, like a, like just a daunting task, but one that like you said, is absolutely necessary for people to become aware of it because the more it just operates in secrecy, then it's just going to proliferate and flourish. And we'll, the next thing you know, we're like, wow, how did this get here? Because we yeah. haven't brought the attention to it. So for that, like, yeah, very grateful for the work that you and many others do in that, in that space, because it helps us to sort of understand really what's at stake in the city. Thank you. The story about them. Um, I think it's a, a, person in the community that they murdered and then that when that man's child is like a teenager they threaten the child basically to saying like we we have our eye on you like it's like they're generationally like cruel and uh retaliatory against just anyone who crosses them yeah i i was speaking to the family of um a family member of Anthony Vargas yesterday. And that's a young man who was killed by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department um, Banditos gang in 2018. And she was telling me that, you know, the deputies will park outside of her house and talk to her nieces and nephews and threaten um, Anthony's older brother. So, you know, this, like I said, that story that you were talking about, Jack, that happened 30 years ago, but these same tactics, like that, that, that was going on this week. Right. Unbelievable. All right. Well, hopefully we can, uh, have you back as the, as more parts of the story are published. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, and before we move on, Cerise, I was just curious because I I think, you know, heading into, uh, I guess, the my adult life, I assumed that the mainstream media was like doing was like good enough, you know, uh, sufficient to, you know, fulfill the obligation of journalism and in our country and to our society and that like, you know, weeklies or alternative papers uh all weeklies when i was becoming an adult is what they were like that that was you know just additional stuff but if it was like really important the mainstream media would kind of report on it so i was just curious to hear you talk about like how you made the decision to kind of go to publish this reporting through uh you know ground game as opposed to like the LA Times or the New York Times, which seems like yeah. should be reporting on this front page. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and I'll just make a quick distinction. Um, Knock is like technically separate from Ground Game. They're they're friends, but technically separate. Got it. Um, okay. I yeah, so I mean, this is a story that I've wanted to do for years. And this is a story that, you know, a lot of those organizations that you just shouted out, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times. This is something that they've known about for longer than I've been alive, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, there were articles that I read um, from papers like that where they would put in like two paragraphs about, you know, these deputy gangs and then move on and forget about it. Frankly, it's just not something that they're interested in. I've worked in newsrooms in mm -hmm. places like that. And I recently had a very public reckoning with one of them, KCRW, where I spoke about the racism that I faced. Um, so, you know, frankly, in my opinion, this just isn't something that mainstream newsrooms are interested in. One, because it affects low income people of color, which th they don't think is a community worth investing in or worth covering. Um, secondly, a lot of mainstream organizations just like don't want to take this stuff seriously. 
um, stories that go on in places like that. I can't tell you how many times I have pitched stories um, focusing in brown and black low-income communities that are passed over again and again and again. So this story didn't happen before because of systemic racism. And I right. chose to go with an independent news outlet because they were the ones that were willing to <laughs> spend money that they frankly didn't have and time that people were volunteering their time to help me with this. They knew that it was something worth investing in. And frankly, I think that that's really where good reporting happens because mainstream newsrooms just frankly don't give a shit. Yeah. They have their own agendas. Right. Yeah, and it's just to be complicit in in upholding de facto white supremacy or whatever. And any story that gets near something that would bring awareness that could precipitate some change, like, ah, is it right. worth it? Is it something we're interested in? Will people read it without actually thinking of, like, fundamentally how you're supposed to operate journalistic, like in terms of a journalist or an outlet to inform the public about what is happening where they live? Yeah, and that's just that abdication of responsibilities. Just, yeah, it's fucked up. And then we're we're left to having to a think of like where our news comes from and i think most people aren't able to even think critically of where their news is coming from and how it's being presented and why it's being presented a certain way yeah all right uh so we are going to make that the very first link where people can uh read a tradition of violence the history of deputy gangs in the los angeles county sheriff's department in the footnotes footnotes um and People need to check it out because it's, be frankly, better than anything I've ever read in the New York Times or Los Angeles Times. And uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. I've I've been rejected from both um, both of those newsrooms. Um, uh, yeah. So thank yeah. you for that compliment. <laughs> no, for, I mean, of course, it's real. The reporting you know, but, is real. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what's so upsetting for us too to talk about. Like always, what's in the news, and we're like, there's so many things that are in the news that are not in the news. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it takes like having to be like, okay, well, we're not going to count in fucking MSNBC. They're going to talk about this shit. Um, right. so you know, people have to constantly look and remind ourselves about like truly like what what the news is trying to get people to think about their own world at times. Yeah. I try to actively avoid, uh, MSNBC, CNN, New York times, like just because I think that that is the sort of mainstream narrative that our listeners probably encounter the most. And yeah, it's incredibly biased. Let me say something else about the New York Times now that since we're airing them out. I once had yeah. a meeting with an editor at the New York Times um, for a story. And it was a story that had been covered before by a smaller outlet. And, you know, I, I went into the meeting saying, you know, this is this has been done by a smaller outlet, but you know, don't worry, I've got I've got another angle, it's different. And they said, Huh, okay, so done by a smaller outlet, huh? And I start panicking a little bit, you know, like, oh God, like they're gonna kill my pitch. And she says, New York Times hasn't done it, hasn't happened yet. And that's that's truly the attitude that they have. I right. mean, like we see how many how many journalists do we see saying, I wrote this story six months ago and now the New York Times is running <laughs> right. it like right. it's a brand new thing. That's that's right. their bread and butter, it's what they do. Right, right. That and normalizing Nazis. So Yes. <laughs> They're like, Oh my god, this Nazi likes uh, fucking I can't believe it's not butter spray. <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe it? Anyway, more on um, that later. All right, let's talk about uh, Spring Break, uh, which was going off over the weekend in Miami on Miami Beach. The videos were pretty wild, just a ton of kids doing, I don't know, I, I have a hard time putting myself in their position because I, I never had a full year of my uh, young life just swallowed by a pandemic, but I right. certainly understandable that they're... Uh, you know, w wanting to get out there. Um, I think it's just, there's just so many elements to like one, you have Florida that's like, Hey baby, it's wide open down here. Yeah. Like, cause Ron DeSantis is like being like, I don't, we don't know about COVID really. Uh, forget that we have the <laughs> highest concentrations of the B117 variant in the state, right. but there's a lot of like, there's just, I've seen also too, um, just the vaccine rollout has definitely contributed for many people to begin like operating a new sort of headspace of perceived safety when I'm not quite sure there actually is. I mean, it, it's fantastic. The vaccine is being rolled out, but not to the extent I see and hear people discuss like what they think the world is at the moment. 
So the mayor of Miami had to set a curfew from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. for the next three weeks, um, mm. just trying to just t- trying to discourage people on spring break from coming down there. But I think it, it's yeah, it's tough. You got a generation of kids who are like in the their prime partying years. And I I try and put myself in the mindset of an 18 to 22 year old person. And I'm like, I don't know if I kind of. I'm fucking reckless. I don't know what you want me to say, uh, but we're adding layers of like, you know, there's responsibility to others in a community you're entering to party that isn't quite there. But yeah, just, it's a, just an overall, you know, trend. I think in general, not just Miami itself. Like I'm saying, like the vaccine rollout is, as I see, it feels like a very, yeah, like has this false sense of safety that a lot of people are just like immediately buying into, even when they themselves aren't like, oh, I'm not going to get the vaccine yet, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, huh? Huh? <laughs> uh, but the the like the sound bites from some of the kids, they were just saying, like, we will not like I will not stop partying. Right. Um, I think one of the quotes was we will continue to rage. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, like, what do you, how do you look at it, like, in terms of seeing spring breakers right now, Cerise, and like the party scene you were covering, like the mentality, is it, is it nihilistic? Is it pure ignorance? Like how, how what, what's sort of like the fuel from, from how you see it? Yeah. I mean, the kids that I spoke to in the party scene, they really didn't believe that COVID was dangerous. Um, A lot of them were telling me that they thought that the government was lying to them about, you know, how many people had died and the death rates and that stuff like that. And they sort of finished it off with, you know, like I, you know, I'm young, I haven't gotten sick and none of my friends have gotten sick. um, So whatever they're they really weren't um, so much thinking about people around them and how it might affect them. Yeah, I, I. I really don't think they really care about others. Right. Um, that was my takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of a like an 18 to 22, 22 year old person that actually does care about others at that stage. Um, especially shit. Like when you're coming into a world that's like societally reflecting back to you that no one gives a fuck about you. So, right. you know, like it's just a, you know, the, I can totally see how that feeds a mentality of like, well, fucking nobody gives a fuck about me. This, we're yeah. not live, we don't live in the country where people give a fuck about each other. So what the fuck? What, why are we now right. trying to give a fuck about each other? Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to like the this disease in particular when the people who are so who are um, more at risk are not the young people who are of like spring break partying age. Like I, I think it's just e- even though it's should be simple to just be like yeah but you're killing old people uh i feel like that that is a population that's uniquely ill-suited to uh give a shit about that unfortunately and they're killing young people too right i mean there was that i forgot that athlete that collapsed um Mm -hmm. after having covid like yeah 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 no for sure and even now, like you even look at L.A., like uh, what over 50 percent of the the people that are in the hospital are coming from people under 50, although the right. deaths are happening for people over 50. But right now, people under 50 are a majority of the hospitalization. So like that, I remember early in the pandemic, everyone was like, it's an old people's disease, like right. guard the old. Um, but yeah, I guess it's hard to like inform people when. And you could get like long COVID too if you're young. That's that's the other. I think that's even scarier than dying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like why didn't they do like a fucking you know this is your brain on drugs type campaign about COVID? Like you know what I mean? Because everything I had to like seek out like medical like journal things that were talking about purely like really what the long term effects could be. That were like, I think, touched on in like a sentence or two in a normal, like a news article, like online. But like, those are the moments that really had me very much concerned about my safety or what it meant to be careless about what I think, how contagious it is or isn't. Because, yeah, I mean, we had, you know, uh, one of our guests who flew in the pandemic to go back home to the UK because the borders were closing. She caught COVID on the flight and she was talking about to this day. How, you know, she's she's in her early 30s, not like, you know, no real health conditions, but still has like, you know, the brain fog and moments of like real deep fatigue and things like that. And 
that's really something to consider. But I guess, you know, again, we all have different calculus or going into it with our own, you know, uh, risk assessment models. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, talk about the Netflix documentary about the college admission scandal. I don't know if uh, you guys had a chance to watch that yet. I watched it over the weekend. Is it a like a just feature length documentary? Yeah, feature length it... docu mm. documentary. The second I heard they weren't going in on everybody as hard as they could, I was like, ah, oh, this isn't the thing I want to see. Like, I wanted to yeah. see that version of it. It basically focuses on the the white haired guy that you saw in all the articles, like the mug shots of him. Um, and to the point that they have Matthew Modine like dramatize a bunch of the conversations they have transcripts for um just give matthew modine like a terrible haircut uh and they're like yeah that'll do <laughs> and the conversations like they edit them down but it's you know they're sort of boring but they they do give you a really good understanding of just like how rich people think about the world and how little they think about the ethics of what they're doing or how it affects people who have been less uh who have been given less than they have like that's just completely not a consideration uh for any of the people it seems like during some of the conversations it's going to be and then they're like look i don't give a shit about the ethics here i'm just worried like what if people find out about this um right, right. yeah that sounds right yeah. So, that, I, mean, I mean, that's the way that's the path to like ultra wealth is like, I don't give a fuck about the ethics. Right. Like I can get it right. right. And then fuck it. If there's accountability, I'll just fucking just say, fuck it. I'm rich. I don't I'm, <laughs> I'm insulated from all this shit. Yeah. It's also was it really that jarring to hear how these people would talk? Because I feel like in a way you're like, yeah, of course. Or no, no, a, yeah, not jarring at right. all. Not jarring at all. Just more of like a a interesting collage of that where you're just like, man, these motherfuckers. And like just little details of how they speak and like what they, like there are some conversations where one of the moms is like, you know, my older sister, yeah, or my older daughter, like she doesn't give a shit about any, like any of this. So she's not like worried at all. But my younger one is actually smart. And she like, oh is pretty brutal, like how just kind of distanced yeah. they yeah, are and then, like, from a the detach whole thing. Yeah, detachment as a parent to your own children as well. Like there's mm. the older one that's kind of a weirdo loser. And then the younger one, though, that one's smart. Right. I forget her name. But, but then uh, get yeah, them both in because on. it's, yeah, it's more important to them than it is to the kids, obviously. And I think more important to them from a like appearances perspective mm, than it right. is to uh like what what benefits they think they're the kids are getting the the big thing is that the university is kind of there there's like one storyline where they look at the sailing coach from stanford who never took any uh bribes like directly they all went to i think the sailing program and the athletic department and they kind of make the case that like Stanford was, you know, complicit in the whole thing. But it really is like, I don't know, the the whole thing seems to be the the universities. Like these are all just people exploiting a wildly corrupt system where, you know, if you give them enough money, like your kid gets in over somebody more deserving of an education than them uh, or of that spot than them. Right. Yeah. And giving it to someone who isn't going to then enter the world and use any of that knowledge. They'll right. just rest on the fact that they have wealth to rely on versus people who are trying to get educated for upper right. mobility. And I think, yeah, just more of, the you know, as we talk about like wealthy kids and like how much the like their parents wealth enables like their lack of, of like evolution as an adult. And yeah, you get to this point. It's like, yeah, you want to go to college or you might learn something. Or do you want to go for appearances, not something substantive? Because it, we're we're here in the optics uh, yeah. economy. We're not here for actual outcomes, which I think goes across the board. I think for how people who think like that and use their wealth for good or whatever the fuck it is. It's just for appearances. It's not about substantive change on some level. Yeah. 
All right. And lastly, just an update from a story that we, I think, had mentioned on one of the trending episodes last week uh, that MoviePass had a website up that was <laughs> a countdown to the movies starting again or some shit. And it seemed like MoviePass was going to relaunch. That was a was a prank. Uh, <laughs> Movie Pass is dead. Uh and apparently like it was it might have been part of a uh attempt to like kind of pump up their parent company's uh stock which did temporarily uh blip up to near 1 cent to oh, near shit. 1 penny so somebody might have made yeah. uh dozens on that one. Yeah, the timer hit zero yesterday. Uh, nothing, nothing happened except when you go to the website, it downloads a text file to your computer. So don't oh, go to that website. No. Uh, it's don't don't open whatever it is. Uh, one of the people who was tracking this story did open it, and it just says it's like, like "Hey, message. sorry, this website was made with around twenty dollars with no purpose other than to fool friends." tweeted out by a Twitter user who we have no affiliation with, the media. The media did pick it up and say, official MoviePass website, uh, which was completely fabricated by those journalists. So, um, yeah. You can say but, journalists at that point. Quote, unquote, journalists. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, looked I, don't at know. The, I looked at the URL. It had the word MoviePass in there. So, yep. Thank you. Also, I went to Yale School of Journalism because my parents uh, gave them seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, now I write blogs. <laughs> well, Cerise, it has been uh, such a pleasure having you on TDZ. Uh, where can people find you, read you, follow you? Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter and Instagram, um, just on by my name, Cerise Castle. Um, and I would love it if your listeners are so inclined to check out Knock LA, where my series, A Tradition of Violence, is living. And if they're so inclined, please shoot us a dollar or two on the Knock Patreon. Because like I said, this this research was really expensive and I'd like to keep doing it. Yeah, do that. Is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? Oh, a work of social media that I've been enjoying? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love that vi baby video, the video of the baby who sees a video of herself crying and is just like, what? Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, like, just be like becomes like self-aware sort of yes. in a weird way? Yes, yes. Whoa. Baby sees video of self-crying. Uh-oh. Did it just download a file to your website? To your oh, no, yeah, it did a text file, but I just saw, I just saw, a, uh, I just see a still image of this baby going like this. <laughs> I don't know if that's Eyes really wide. what's going on, but it looked yeah. like it, they fooled me with that 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 still because it definitely looked like a baby being like, "What the fuck is wrong with me?" <laughs> uh, Miles, where can people find you? What's tweet you've been enjoying? Twitter, Instagram, Miles of Gray. Uh, also, the other podcast, Four Twenty Day Fiance, where we just kind of blow some steam off, talk about that trash reality show content some tweets that i like first one is from you know another valley local molly lambert at molly lambert is tweeting well i walked through the echo park thrift and everything was from the 2000s and one girl told her friend a skirt was quote so y2k so <laughs> bury me at sea i guess <laughs> Yo, we're all feeling the washedness come bury upon us sea, guess, um another one uh, from Trash Jones at Jay Zucks uh, tweeting, if you hear me telling the same story twice, just let it go. I only have like six memories and they all take turns. <laughs> Welcome to podcasting. And finally, uh, at Young Thug W, Y-N-G-T-H-G-W tweets, what WTF is quote burning CDs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's amazing. I'm here. Um, in my mind, I was like, what are you talking about, man? I was burning CDs in 2002. Huh. Oh, man. 19 years ago. Right. Ah, okay. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I guess we're <laughs> just, just swapping playlists now on Spotify and shit. Yeah. Uh, a couple of tweets I have been enjoying. Uh, P tweeted, Babe, are you okay? You hardly responded to the Instagram story I posted for the sole purpose of getting a response from you. <laughs> And uh, Calathea tweeted, 
Has anyone noticed that you park in a driveway but cry in a Walgreens bathroom? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. Footnotes. Where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode. Uh, as well as a song that we recommend you go check out and enjoy. Miles. Just, yeah. Vibes. Uh, specifically this track, Vibes is Right, by legendary dancehall reggae artist Barrington Levy. Mm. Uh, this just has, it's a track that like for being reggae, you're expecting like the rhythms to drop in, but it doesn't. And still Barrington Levy just crooning with that voice of his and the vibes is right. The, the, mm. the, the title does not deceive uh, and if you don't know Barrington Levy is, I don't know, maybe if you like Shine from Bad Boy in the early 2000s, if you remember. Um, that was Barrington Levy. If not, you know what? This is a new artist for you to check out. So check that one out. I'm too young to know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> the Daily Zeitgeist production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you listen to your favorite shows, that's going to do it for this morning. We are back this afternoon to tell you what's trending. And we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye.